Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Have you ever had a time that it just feels like stuff keeps slamming into you? And you just get through one and then the next thing slams into you and you think, okay, I've gotten past this and then the next thing slams into you and it just feels like, you know, you're kind of wondering, when is this going to stop? Uh, when, you know, the hits keep happening, right? And uh, you wonder, when is this all gonna, when am I gonna get a break, you know? Uh, when's this gonna stop? And, and, and that's, um, that's the life of Nehemiah in, in the book that we've been studying, uh, his memoirs, that he came to do something great. Remember, uh, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king of Persia, arguably the most powerful man in the world. He'd gotten news about Jerusalem and the, and the bad state that Jerusalem was in. Uh, he left everything uh, with permission of the king and he went to Jerusalem and he started on this mission to repair the walls in Jerusalem. So he leaves this wonderful place where he's set for life, where he has authority, where he has privilege, where he has wealth, all of these things. He leaves all of that to do something really noble, uh, really good, really godly, and everywhere he turns, he just gets resistance, he gets opposition, he hits obstacles all along the way. And you would think there might have been a point somewhere uh, in there that Nehemiah would have said, okay, enough's enough. I have a great life. I don't need this nonsense. I don't need to take these shots. I don't need this criticism. And yet Nehemiah continues on on his mission to rebuild the wall. And we're going to continue that this morning uh, out um, out of Nehemiah 6. But I was thinking this week as I was processing this in my own head, I have a friend who uh, travels constantly. And uh, he made national news one year. He was on a plane um, flying somewhere around the world, and he, uh, um, he was sitting toward the front of the plane, and uh, this guy next to him um, started to turn a little green on the flight. And the next thing my friend knows, he just lost his lunch right in my friend's lap. I mean, just threw up all over him and it was a mess, and the flight attendant came rushing over, and she knelt down and started to try to help him uh, with the mess, but the, the, the smell got to her, and she just threw up all over my friend. And he was such an experienced flyer, and he had the presence of mind that he just turned back, and he looked at the rest of the cabin, and he said, anybody else? And sometimes we feel like that, don't we? Sometimes we feel like, okay, I've just been thrown up on anybody else. Who else who's next, right? Uh, and, and that's got to be how Nehemiah uh, felt. He's just thinking, who's next? Uh, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen? And, and we're going to look at that because uh, it would be easy to think that Nehemiah was about building the wall, and that was his goal, and he was going to accomplish that goal. But what we find out as we go through the book of Nehemiah, that it was much bigger than just building a wall. Well, let's go to Nehemiah, the sixth chapter, and we're going to read verses, uh, uh, we're going to read verses one to four real quickly. It says, now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, 
Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together in Hakepharim in the plain of Ono. And they intended, to, but they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. So here's the picture. You guys are, if you've been here a few Sundays, you're familiar with Sanballat. Uh, he's, the, he's the governor. Uh, he, he's, let's see, he's the governor uh, of the Sumerians. Uh, the Samaritans, and then we have Geshem, who is head of all the Arab tribes uh, down to the south, uh, and then we have Tobiah, who was the governor uh, of the Ammonites, and they surrounded Jerusalem, and they see that the wall's going up, and they begin to feel like their grip on things in this region is starting to slip away, and so they send a message uh, to Nehemiah asking him, hey, you know, this is a good idea, let's talk peace. Uh, let's have an accord. Let's have a meeting together. And uh, so they, uh, they invite him to come to a place that's right on the border of Judah and Samaria, uh, just outside his realm of authority and responsibility. Uh, they ask him to come and meet them there. Now, I don't know if there was somebody on the inside that tipped off Nehemiah, but what he knew was that this was a trick that if they could get him outside of Jerusalem, if they could get him alone, then their intention was to do him harm. That they decided if they could get rid of Nehemiah, if they could get rid of the leader, that they could, they could take care of everything else, that the rest of this project, uh, the rest of the building of the wall would fall apart and they would have control of this region again. So they invite him to come out and they end up inviting him four times and he turns them down every time. And not, no, he doesn't just turn them down, but he says, look, I'm up to something that's so important. I've got work to do that's so critical, that it's so important, it's so big, that I can't leave to take care of this. And I love the way he responds, because here's the thing that we learn about Nehemiah, is that he knew that God had given him a mission, and that the marker of the mission, the visible expression of that mission was to rebuild the wall. But the rebuilding of the wall was a picture of God's love for them. It was a picture of God's favor. It was a picture of God's protection for them, that God kept his promises. And so as that wall was going up, so was growing the faith of the people in Jerusalem. So was growing their confidence in God keeping his promise and what he intended to do with them. So grew their hope uh, that their life wouldn't continue to be in devastation, but they had real hope about their lives and their families again. And Nehemiah said, this is too important. I don't have time to go and have a chat with you guys, but we have to finish this job that God's given us. We have to finish this wall because it's not about just the wall. It's about building a people, building the people of God. So he turned them down, and they're persistent, you know. They've got this plan. Let's try it again four times. Let's see if it, uh, let's see if it works. Uh, they want him to come, and Nehemiah says, I've got something more important to do. And, and you know, it, it's, it's crazy, Nehemiah, how he must have felt because he was constantly getting challenged by, by these governors. He was getting challenged from within uh, by politics that were going on inside Jerusalem. And now again, they're challenging him and there's a cartoon up here, yeah. That's how Nehemiah must have felt. The little uh, 
little caption says, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. And uh, that's how Nehemiah must have felt, that he had this birthmark that was a big target. And, and here's something I want you to think about, that, um, that if you take leadership, if you take leadership in the name of Christ, if you are a Christian leader, every Christian leader has a target on their chest. Uh, because there's an enemy that doesn't want God's mission to be fulfilled. And, and I would argue that all of you are leaders because somebody is following you. And if you've chosen to follow Christ and you've chosen to build that wall in your family, if you've chosen to build that wall at your work and your relationships and, and uh, wherever you are, that you have a target on you, that the enemy doesn't want that built, he doesn't want those people built that that represents a weakening of his position, that represents loss. And God wants us to understand that if you're gonna have a leadership role, if you're gonna take leadership, be ready to have a target on your chest. Well, uh, there are four schemes that happened in just uh, one chapter here in Nehemiah 6, uh, four attempts to kill or discredit Nehemiah and we, we just seen the first of them, that they sent this letter out uh, asking him to come to a meeting. That's their first attempt. Uh, and then their second attempt comes in verse five uh, of chapter six here of Nehemiah. It says this, and in the same way, Symbolet for the fifth time sent his servant to me. And this is again, Nehemiah writing his memoirs with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations that Geshem, and Geshem also says this, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's what this is all about. That the word is out that you and the Jews intend to rebel, and that's why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. So we're, we're outing you, Nehemiah. We're telling everybody this, this is the real story. This is what this is all about. You're in a hurry to build uh, this wall because you're gonna rebel and you wanna be the king of the Israelites. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, that there is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. They're talking about Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, will hear these reports. So now come and let us counsel together. So let me just give you a quick idea of what's happening. Now he sends an open letter. Now traditionally, when, a, when somebody would send a letter like that, when a governor would send a, a, a letter, he would send, it in a, he would send it sealed. He would send it with his seal on it, and the only person that was allowed to read it was the person that it was intended for. And so you knew if you got the letter and the seal was broken that, that something was wrong, that somebody had violated that, and it would, it would be a warning to you. Well, he sends an open letter because he intends for his servant who's delivering it to read the letter. He intends for people all along the journey everywhere to read the letter. So by the time it gets to Nehemiah, the rumor of the rebellion in Jerusalem and the rumor of Nehemiah wanting to be the king has spread all around the countryside, and the idea was for Nehemiah to be discredited and for the people in Jerusalem to be afraid because now there was a rumor of a rebellion and certainly Artaxerxes of the Persians is gonna bring an army and he's gonna crush us because he thinks there's a rebellion here. And they hope to stir up that kind of fear and they hope to discredit Nehemiah. It's a dirty trick, isn't it? But that's what they had been reduced to. They were so afraid of what was happening that they would try anything, and so they send this open letter, so they say, now come and let us talk. 
now that you're in trouble, come to us. We'll, we'll help you out, Nehemiah. We'll support you in this. Well, <laughs> Nehemiah has an interesting response to him. Then I sent to them saying, no such thing as you said have been done, for you are inventing them out of your mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. So here's Nehemiah. And he sends a letter back and he says, you know what, you guys are just, you guys are just making this up. This is a total fabrication. This is a total trick to try to discredit us, to try to sow fear in the hearts of people, and I'm not gonna be part of it. I, I'm not gonna give credence to it. But then he closes this little part with a prayer. But Lord, strengthen my hands. You know, the, all of this stuff, I, you know, he's not God, he's not Superman. Nehemiah was a person, I think he was a bright person, I think he was a godly person, but how can you take those hits constantly and continue to go? And I think that he had this moment where he had the right answer, but he needed to fall back on what he knew about God, he had to fall back on his faith, and so he said, I won't stop, and I won't listen to that, and you've made that all up, but Lord, strengthen my hands. Give me strength to go, because inside, I'm starting to feel tired. Inside, I'm starting to feel weak. Inside, I'm a little bit afraid, and I need you, Lord, to strengthen my hands. And when we find ourselves getting hit time after time, where do we go? Do we ask God to strengthen our hands? Do we rely on his promise? Do we stay faithful to what he's called us to do? Because Nehemiah is gonna continue to build that wall. He is gonna be faithful to what God's called him to do in spite of all the opposition, in spite of all of the struggle, He's gonna be relentless in pursuing what God called him to do. So he says, but now, oh God, strengthen my hand. You know, it was such a clever thing because Sanballat's message says, come, let us meet together. You want peace, don't you? You'd like peace, just like everybody else. Is it true that the, that the Jews in Jerusalem don't want peace, that they really want a rebellion? You can come and settle that. You can squash that rumor. Uh, just come meet with us. Don't you want good relationships with your neighbors? Don't you want to foster mutual understanding? It sounds so good, but Nehemiah figures out that their intent was to ambush him. Their intent was to discredit him. It wasn't a good-hearted attempt to make peace. Nehemiah said, I'm doing a great work. In verse three, I can't come down. And in verse eight, he flatly denies Sambalat's charge and he denies it in strong language. And he focuses on the mission. Nehemiah was really clear about his mission. He knew his purpose. He wasn't gonna be distracted from it. And it's an amazing thing to be clear about our mission, isn't it? It's an amazing gift when we can be clear about the mission God's given us. And you might be sitting there this morning thinking, yeah, if God would just give me that kind of mission, if God would just give me a mission that I could really focus my life on, then I'd be ready to go. Well, I've got good news for you this morning. Let's just start with a couple of things. That God has called us to honor him. He's called us to live a life that glorifies him. How about that for the beginning of your mission? How about that for the start of the mission of your life is to glorify God? 
to give him glory, to give him praise. And here's the second idea. Jesus says in, in all the Gospels, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, that we would be people who are all in in our love for God. I did a wedding last night, and it was a great reminder of what that looks like because I, I can I rarely do a wedding without reminding the couple that, that love isn't an emotion. It's not a feeling. You didn't fall in love. You chose to love. And when you make vows to each other, you're saying that I'm gonna choose to live in a loving way. I'm gonna choose to act in a loving way today and tomorrow and for the rest of our lives. I'm gonna choose love. And Jesus said, here's what it looks like. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You wanna know how to live that out? Then love your neighbor as yourself. How about that for a mission? How about we focus our eyes, we set our eyes on the mission to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and we're gonna love our neighbors, we love ourselves. We have a mission. We just don't think about it often enough. Well, Nehemiah, had an incredible target on his back. They sent this letter to him. Uh, <laughs> and I was thinking about this. The rumor that they sent, and, and then the rumors that they started, and you know, if that had happened today, can you imagine cable news? Can you imagine how that would have gotten, well, I don't know, let, let me just show you. Of course, you get the NBC is North Bible Church, right? Okay, we're good. All right, thank you very much. Um, you know, if unless we're really clear about our mission, it gets pretty confusing when we get conflicting information, doesn't it? Um, Nehemiah was really clear about his mission. He was really clear about what God had called him to do. So when he was faced with conflicting information, he knew exactly where his focus was, to stay focused on the mission uh, that God had given him and, uh, and he does it. Well, the story continues in verse 10. 
It says this, then I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, uh, the, the son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, and he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. So this one of the priests of the temple, and uh, they're coming to kill you, they're coming to kill you by night. But I said, such a, such, uh, should such a man as I run away, and what man such as I could go into the temple and li live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they give me, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat. Oh my God! Listen to this prayer. Listen, to, uh, remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess, uh, prophetess uh, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the enemies of God's people, the enemies of Nehemiah, they don't give up. They come after him a third time, and this time they paid off some of the leaders in the temple itself. And, they, and, and this leader of the temple uh, gets in touch with Nehemiah and he says, come and meet with me in the temple and you can hide there because they're going to kill you. They're gonna come at night and kill you and it's all gonna be over. The safest place is to come with me into the temple. So here are a couple of problems. One is that they were hoping if they could strike fear in the heart of Nehemiah, if they could get Nehemiah to hide, then they could strike fear in the hearts of all the other people and they could call them and they could get them to give up. And so the whole idea is about creating a culture of fear, uh, that they're trying to make Nehemiah afraid, they're trying to show that fear to make uh, the other people afraid, and Nehemiah says, uh, sees through that, and he says, we're not going in. Here's another problem, uh, and that is that if you're a layman, there are parts of the temple you're allowed in certain courtyards, but you're not allowed in the temple. And so this priest who wanted him to come in was trying to get him to to violate the very law of the Jews uh, to do something that was not allowed. There were certain times uh, in history that, uh, and in the law of the Jews that, that someone was allowed uh, into, the, uh, into the temple, a non-priest for protection um, uh, to, to the altar, 1 Kings, Exodus. There are places where it's mentioned, but if Nehemiah had fled to the temple in fear of his enemies, uh, he would have shown everyone that he was a fraud and he was afraid, and he would also be violating their law, and so he would be discredited. So a third time, in a major way, they're trying to discredit Nehemiah, they're trying to trap him, they're trying to do something. It sounds reminiscent, doesn't it, of the Gospels, um, all, this, all of the, the readings in the Gospels of how the religious leaders tried to discredit Jesus, how they tried to find fault with him, how they tried to trap him and trick him. Well, the same thing is going on with Nehemiah, and he is getting blow after blow after blow, facing obstacle after obstacle, threat after threat, scheme after scheme, and still he keeps his eyes on the mission. Still he keeps his eyes on what God's called him to do. It's really profound. And here's the thing. This is our life. And sometimes we don't think of our lives in the same kind of drama because it's just our life and, and who are we. And, and yet what Nehemiah is doing here is giving us a picture of what it means to live life and face the challenges that we have every day and face the obstacles in our lives because we all hit those. 
we all find ourselves in those circumstances. We all find ourselves in pain. Uh, we find ourselves the victim of rumors. We find ourselves in all these situations. Where do we go? What do we do? Strengthen my hands, Lord. Keep my eyes focused on the mission to honor you, to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, Jesus said one time in Mark 8, he says, in calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? The priest said, Nehemiah, come and hide in the temple. Save your life. Live to fight another day. Come away from those who would kill you. Jesus says that the call of a disciple is to come and die, to deny yourself, to take up your cross, to follow Jesus, to fulfill his mission in your life, to stay faithful to him, because that's where real life happens. That's where real life happens for all of us. Nehemiah 6 verse 15 says this, and so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. Remarkable. Verse 16 says, and when our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that the word had been, the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. I'm going to stop there just for a second. The gates are finished. The wall is up. Jerusalem is secure. And everybody around was afraid. Everybody around started to think less of themselves because they realized that the God of Israel, the God of the Jews, had fulfilled his promise and that the, he was the greater God. He was the only God. And when it hit them that all of the schemes and all the ways they had tried to destroy the temple, all the ways they tried to destroy the gates, all the, way they, the ways they had tried to destroy God's people had failed because God was with his people. They knew they had lost, and it made them afraid. And ultimately, the people who would oppose us, the people that would challenge us, the people who would hurt us, don't answer to us, but they, they belong to God. They're his. Well, it says, moreover, in those days, verse 17, the nobles of Judah sent letters to Tobiah. Now, just when you think things are gonna get good again, right? Just when you think, let's throw a party. The walls are done, we've won, everything's great. It says that the nobles of Judah uh, sent uh, many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. Uh, for many in Judah were bound by oath in him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era and his son Jehoahan, and uh, had taken the daughter of Meshulam. We need more Marys, you know, <laughs> this uh, son of Barakai and his wife. So here's, here's the scene, Tobiah. This is what we learn about Tobiah all of a sudden, is that Tobiah had married, he was a nominal Jew, Tobiah, his name is Jewish, uh, that he had married uh, some nobles in Jerusalem, some influential people, uh, and that he had business contracts, he had business deals, oaths they called them then, with those people. 
So Tobiah had people on the inside. He had people with wealth. He had people that he did business with. He had uh, people that were bound to him by contracts. He had all of this, and so they were sending letters back and forth. He was telling them what they were, what he and Sambalat and the other guys were trying to do, and they were telling him what Nehemiah was saying and what was happening on the inside of Jerusalem. So again, the fourth time, there's this intrigue going on. There's this challenge to Nehemiah's leadership happening, and now it's happening from the inside uh, because that's human nature. These, these uh, nobles had made wealth and they had made security for themselves and they'd created their own little kingdom and they didn't want anybody else getting credit. They didn't want anybody else taking it away. They didn't want to share any of it. They didn't want to give any of it up. They would rather have their safety and security and their wealth than follow the God of their people. They were in rebellion. And, he, and, and again, after the walls are done, before, before Nehemiah can take a deep breath, before he can get one woohoo out, the next thing happens. The next challenge, the next opposition, the next scheme, the next threat happens to him. The result of Nehemiah's faithfulness in staying on course is almost anticlimactic. It's completed in 52 days, which is an amazing victory, but then we're told that Tobiah, the governor of the Amorites, has another plan, that they're trying again from within. He's so ingrained in Jerusalem that in chapter 13, we'll find out that, uh, that he's moved into Jerusalem and that he's been given quarters in the temple uh, while Nehemiah has gone back to visit with Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, Tobiah moves into the temple. And when, uh, in verse five, when uh, Nehemiah gets back to Jerusalem and sees what's happened, it just says he was very angry. And I have this picture of Jesus cleansing the temple. Tobiah goes into the temple, or goes in the temple, goes into the chambers uh, of uh, Tobiah, takes all of his furnishings, throws it out into the street, kicks them all out and calls priests in to cleanse that chamber and brings all the things back for God's worship and for God's temple that belonged there. It kept going on, but Nehemiah was faithful to what God had called him to do. You know, I read a great little article about um, a lady named Cheryl Batchelder. She's the former CEO of uh, Popeye's, Louisiana Kitchen, you ever heard of that? And um, she took over this struggling little company and turned it around uh, using one theme. Uh, she borrowed from uh, Philippians 2, 3. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but, but consider others more important than yourselves. And she used that theme from Philippians 2, 3 to completely turn around this company and make it profitable and make it grow and put it on the map, and she said, that's what changed everything for us. That when as a company we began to put other people first, as a company when we began uh, to not, uh, not be about us, but how can we serve, uh, how can we care for people, that changed everything for us, it changed her life. It was a mission that she could get her heart around, it was a mission that she could give uh, her life to. So what's our mission this morning? We've talked about two things. We've talked about two things in our mission, haven't we? To glorify God. Read John 17 sometime. To glorify God. The, the second part of our mission is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
and to love our neighbors as ourselves. You know, we get that, and I could ask most of you, if you're familiar with that verse, you'd go, yeah, God, I love that verse, awesome verse. I just don't know how to live that. I don't know what to do with that. My life's so full, my life is so busy, my life is so complicated, there's so many things going on. And so it tells me then, what's the mission of your life? What's God called you to? What's he challenged you to? What gives you focus? What gives you direction for your life? And here's what Jesus said, if you want real direction in, my li- in your life, start there, start loving me with everything that you have and live that out by loving your neighbor. And then, of course, Jesus gave us one other part of that mission, didn't he, in Matthew 28. He said, go, therefore, into all nations. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go and make disciples. You know, that's sort of the mission of the church, that's the mission of everyone in the church, of all of us, that we would make disciples, that that would be what our life is about. That's what God has called us to do, that's how we honor him, that's part of how we show our love for him, that's how we love our neighbor, by sharing with them the the life-changing good news of who Jesus is. So what's your mission this morning? Are, are, Are you clear about the mission that God has given you? When, when opposition comes, when hurt comes, when challenges come, when you feel like you're just getting wave after wave after wave of hurt and challenge and obstacles, what keeps you focused? What keeps you on track? It's the focus, it's the mission that God has put in your life. And I would like you to consider this morning, that is to glorify him. It's to love him with everything you got. It's to love your neighbor and it's to fulfill his commission, his mission to the world to make disciples. How we do that, God leads us, but it gives us direction, it gives us focus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for uh, the story of Nehemiah and how it's so relevant to our own lives. And uh, Lord, we ask that um, this morning that you would challenge us, Lord. What? What's the mission that you've called us to? What's the mission that you've given us, Lord? Uh, And Lord, help us to start with what we all have in common. Help us to start with that place where we wanna live a life that brings glory to you. Lord, that we wanna love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We wanna love our neighbors, and we wanna fulfill the commission that you gave us to make disciples. So Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We ask that you give us a new clarity and a new focus, and we will give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in for our continuing study in the book of Nehemiah. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, let's rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. Our prayer partners will be here today. Uh, If you'd like prayer, please feel free to stop there. And then also our prayer table, you can write your prayer request down. We love praying uh, for you. So uh, if you'd let me, I'd like to just pray a little blessing over you before you leave this morning. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this morning that we've shared together. Thank you, that Lord, that you are present with us, that you're moving in our hearts and our minds. Uh, Lord, I pray a blessing over my friends uh, that you would give them great uh, vision for the mission that you've called them to in their lives. Uh, Lord, that you would refocus their hearts, refocus their minds on what honors you and what serves you. Bless them today. Uh, bless their families. Bless everyone they come in contact with. Lord, go before them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great day.